This is Radio Maria. Time for catechesis. And today we are connected with Joanna Bogle about the feast of tomorrow. It's the Our Lady of Lourdes and the World Day of the Sick. Hello, Joanna. Hello. Hello. Nice to hear you from London. You are from London. Uh, at the moment, no, I'm in Oxfordshire, just outside Oxford. Ooh. I'm having a quiet day with relations, and they give me a whole room to use as a studio, which oh. is ideal. So nice, nice, am. nice, nice. I have to go to Oxford because of uh, John Henry Newman and the, the, the oratory. And you absolutely have to, Helena and Bell you House. must meet the family I'm staying with, my brother, who is a Newman scholar, and they live just outside Oxford. Oh, wow. He is the editor of uh, Newman's... Uh, essays and is working on another book about him and is one of the great Newman enthusiasts. Ah, he could have a pro program with Radio Maria. I'd like to suggest it, so I jolly well will after this one. Please. Meanwhile, they've settled me here uh, so that I have a quiet room to myself yeah. uh, in order to do this broadcast. Yeah, normally you are in London. Did you did you hear about our new, uh, new uh, project there in London? I know about Farm Street uh, and took part in the rosary there, but tell me more. No, the new studio we will we will build uh, um, uh, in, uh, at the rosary shrine with the yes. Dominicans. What do you think yes. about? I think it's wonderful. I have a particular love of the rosary shrine because when it was declared a rosary shrine, uh, uh, it was dedicated, the church is dedicated to the rosary and has flourished for, since the 19th century, but they had a problem. They had no chapels dedicated to the luminous mysteries. Yeah. So they created a glorious luminous mysteries garden alongside the church on what had become just scrubland. And they asked me to write about the garden, tell the story, tell about John Paul. This works very well, as I'm going to talk about him with the World Day of the Sick in a moment. And they created a most beautiful garden of the Luminous Mysteries. And my book tells all about it, including how the Luminous Mysteries came to be part of the Rosary and how popular they are. And it's a beautiful place to go. So I warmly recommend it. Yeah, that's also the first thing I discovered there um, on the Rosary Shrine, this garden with the Luminous uh, Mysteries. And you mm. said it's it's very good connected with our uh, topic today. Once uh, on the one side, it's uh, John Paul II. You will you will tell us why. And on the on the other side, it's also the the um, Mysteries of Light. It's also the um, how to say the mystery of uh, how Jesus healed the sick or encountered yes. encountered the sick and so so um let us let's get started with this this topic of today the world day of uh, of sick because yes. tomorrow it's the feast of our lady of lords there's a connection yes well the feast of our lady of lords <clears throat> is of huge importance it dates back to 1858 And the story is well known. Lourdes is a, a market town, not a very large one, and the foothills of the Pyrenees. But today it has more hotels than any other city in France except Paris. And it's visited in normal times. We've had the pandemic, so it's not been. But in normal times, something like 8 million people a year visit Lourdes. It's known across the world. So Why is it so important? And what happened in 1858? Well, the story is well known. A little girl just on the brink of her teens, Bernadette Subiru, from a family in the town, 
were sent by her mother with a couple of other chums to collect firewood. It's, it's a world so different from our own. This is a little girl who habitually went barefoot. The family were very poor. In fact, they were living in the old prison in the town because her father had been out of work for some while. Even though he was professionally a baker, they, they'd been hit by hard times. Bernadette had poor health. She was asthmatic. They were Catholic, as everyone in Lourdes was. She wasn't a especially devout child, but they were a loving family, united. And she was poorly educated, but she, she did go to school. She knew her prayers, and she knew about helping with the family. And when her mother said, would you go out and get firewood, she went and did so. And then there was this extraordinary thing. She saw in a cave, in a grotty part of the town, uh, where there was rubbish dumped, where the river uh, flowed along the river Gav, which could carry away some of the rubbish, but where rubbish was dumped, and this is the 19th century, beginning to have more rubbish and uh, detritus than before, uh, she saw a most beautiful lady. And this lady then appeared to her again and again and invited her to pray. Bernadette never said that this lady was the Blessed Virgin Mary, but she did, in prompting from her parish priest, who came to hear of it because everybody did, told her to ask the lady's name. And the lady gave a most astonishing reply. And she said, speaking in the local dialect, a form of French, which Bernadette was the only language she knew, I am the Immaculate Conception. Now, this is a strange thing to say, because to say I am the Immaculate Conception is, is, is a strange thing to say. We are all, on the other hand, a conception. We are all conceived uh, by our parents. She was the Immaculate Conception, she said. What did this mean? Well, in fact, the Church had solemnly defined this. Mary was conceived Immaculate, without sin. We are all born as sinners. We all inherit the stain of original sin from the first sin of our first parents who in freedom chose not to do what God wanted, but to take what they wanted, even though he had given them everything. But Mary is free from this. Mary alone could say, I am the Immaculate Conception. Well, events developed from there because this lady Bernadette always just described her as the lady and described her as indescribably beautiful. She couldn't describe her. She could only say she was extraordinarily beautiful. But she did say what she was like in a white robe and carrying a rosary in her hand and had a rose on her foot. Bernadette wasn't a particularly fanciful child, and she hadn't seen many finely dressed people, and there were no colored magazines, let alone television or radio or anything like that. She'd never seen a film in her life, so she didn't have the internet. She was also in a culture where children were punished rather severely if they bragged or told fibs. It was a, a down-to-earth peasant culture, very different from our own, where a little girl who spoke of, I don't know, seeing a princess or something would be indulged. Children weren't. They, I mean, they just weren't in her culture. So she stuck to her story in a very simple way. And she said this was the most beautiful lady, and she asked her to pray the rosary with her. And she asked her to come on certain days, and she did. And, and then she said to scrabble in the ground. She said, dig, dig, uh, and find the well. And there was no well then. Bernadette was puzzled. And drink of the water. But she, she did what she was told, scrabbled in the ground, and a well sprung up, gushing water. And she was told to wash, but 
as she was first scrubbing in the ground, it was just mud that she was coming. So she smeared this on her face. She looked crackers. Nobody took it seriously, except that the water did heal. People came to know of it very quickly. A blind man, a crippled child, were healed. And to this day, eight million people in an ordinary year go to Lourdes. They bathe in the water, and there are many miraculous healings. We've done tests on the water. There's nothing special. There's no special minerals or anything in it. And because this is modern times, people send experts there to, to test the, the people who are said to be healed. And they're just miraculous healings. It's, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary what is happening in Lourdes. Now, I've met a number of people who've been to Lourdes. I have never met anyone who had a miraculous cure. But I have met sick people who went to Lourdes and said, my life was transformed. I, I was sick. I, I was well cared for, but I was on the margins of everything. People who are rather marooned, often in an upstairs bedroom and so on, they go to Lourdes and they realize that there's something bigger and larger about being a Christian, about suffering, about what it means to be sick, and also about healing. Well, all of this was well established when Pope, now Saint John Paul, who had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1991. Remember, he'd been elected in uh, 1978. He came from Krakow in Poland. He was a remarkable man already. He'd been a bishop at the Second Vatican Council. He led his people with great valor uh, through the difficult years of communism. By 1991, he's getting old. He'd been born in 1920. And he had Parkinson's disease, a distressing disease that makes it difficult for you to move, uh, that makes you clumsy and your actions falling over. He was diagnosed with this in 2001, I mean in 1991, and it was confirmed finally a, a decade later. So he had a decade of ill health. It's a difficult disease to define, but it was definite that he had it. He was diagnosed in 1991 and it was fully confirmed 10 years later, but by then he'd been living with it all that time. A year after his diagnosis, that's 1992, he declared February the 11th to be the World Day of the Sick. It carried all the extra power because he himself was sick. Those of us who have not been afflicted with bad health find it difficult, I think, always to identify with those who have lingering disease. I've always enjoyed good health, except for all the normal childhood illnesses and so on. And although I've done my share of, you know, helping handicapped and sick people, I find it difficult to identify with somebody who is stuck in a wheelchair, who has to live with a long-term debilitating illness. John Paul had always known good health, uh, although he uh, was afflicted with a stoop following a wartime car accident, and he'd uh, known poor nourishment and so on in his life. He'd had a very difficult life in many ways. But Parkinson's disease made him identify with the sick, and the sick, and this is what's really important, identified with, with him. So he chose the memorial feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, yes, going all that way back to little Bernadette Subiru, and he declared it a world day of the sick. My brother and his wife are among the many, many people from all over the world who've been to Lourdes. They've been many times. And my brother said, describing it once, he phoned me from there and he said, the whole church is here. You do get a sense of the hugeness of the Catholic church and of more than Catholics. People come, not so much seeking miraculous healings. Most know that is rare. No, but coming to give their sorrows to God our lady, uh, 
to identify with helping the sick, to understand that illness has a place and healing has a place. It's a very, very remarkable place. And, of course, uh, there are all those places where you can stay, pilgrim houses, hotels, and so on. And hundreds and hundreds of young people come every year to help with the sick, not just to push wheelchairs, but to help to wash them, to feed them, to care for them. So it's a place of great goodwill, great generosity of spirit. And there will be something marvelous this year as the pilgrims return after this worldwide pandemic where nobody was allowed to travel, airlines were all shut down, hotels closed. Lourdes will will come to life again. And there's something special about Lourdes because it's stayed alive through difficult times, two world wars, for example. And then in more recent years, there was a terrible flood, which flooded the great basilica and so on. It's, it's always just revived again. People give of their time, their energy, their love, their care. Yes, of course, also their funds to keep things going. So the World Day of the Sick and Our Lady of Lourdes. But there's something very important here. In a sense, what John Paul was saying was, was absolutely not new. The church from the time that our Lord himself healed the sick, the Christian church has always understood that there is a special thing about caring for the sick and about healing the sick. We need to understand that not all the pagan religions of the world understand that healing, caring for the sick and trying to make them well, is something normal, something that God wants us to do. There is, in some religions, a sense of, oh, well, this is what's going to happen. They're going to die. Nothing we can do. There's also a sense that some people think, well, something terrible has happened. There's a curse on that family. Maybe somebody did something bad. It's nothing we can do. Or there's a feeling that caring for the sick is degrading, horrible, messy, cleaning up when they have messy times, cleaning up their vomit and so on. Oh, horrible. And caring for the sick often is very distressing. Blood, gore, open wounds, broken bones, horrible, messy diseases. No, for Christians, however, Christ healed the sick. He did it by human touch. There's this understanding that he was close to the sick. He embraced them. He was with them. And the tradition of Christianity is to do that. One of the most distressing diseases in ancient times, and only very recently has it been able to effectively cure it, is what today we call Hansen's disease, and for centuries was called leprosy. It's a very distressing disease because your nerve endings rot and die away, and so you're not aware when you are burned or uh, something happens to you. And so open wounds superate and are horrible. Uh, your, your hands are dead, so a minor cut, you don't notice it and don't feel pain, and so it doesn't get properly treated. So bits of your body can begin to rot away. And yet throughout the centuries, the church has cared for leprosy people, people suffering from this disease. It was always regarded as terribly, terribly infectious, all those open wounds. So you often find a leper's hospital, historically speaking, on the edge of a town, often dedicated to St. Giles, patron saint of lepers, because he loved them and cared for them and embraced them. If I can give an example from my own city, London, the old church of St. Giles in the Fields was a hospital for lepers, until all such places were closed under Henry VIII. But they still honor uh, the Anglican Church that has it now with great love and care. They honor the tradition of St. Giles. And incidentally, they have a particular friendliness with the local Catholic Church, St. Patrick's in Soho, and they welcome pilgrims there every year for a blessed sacrament procession. It's a nice friendship. But where is it? It's not in the heart of London. 
It's on the outskirts. As you pull out of London, along towards the west, uh, towards Oxford Circus, uh, towards what was, uh, in medieval times, open fields, um, and indeed remains so until, until the 19th century. St. Giles, patron of lepers. You'll find that also in Oxford, where there's a, a street called St. Giles. As you go out of uh, Oxford, out along the Woodstock Way, you will find it in many other cities in Europe. St. Giles, patron centre of lepers, a leper hospital on the outskirts, because that way it was felt they'd be uh, keeping away other people from danger and you could care for them. Another leper hospital was in what is now St. James's Park, uh, which is near Buckingham Palace. There's a long royal tradition of association with St. James, simply because a royal palace was built there when the old leper hospital was closed. Uh, St. James, one of the apostles who went about healing the sick as, as directed by their master, there was a leper colony there. To this day, if you write to Her Majesty the Queen, you'll get a letter back from our court at St. James, and the name goes all that way back. So the church has this long tradition of caring for the sick. The great hospitals of London, like St. Bartholomew's, Bart's, were built in Catholic times by Catholic hands to care for the sick. Christianity teaches us we can, we should care for the sick and heal them. No, it won't always be a miraculous healing, but in the footsteps of our master, we try to heal. And so the great Christian tradition has given us things like the discovery of penicillin, hurrah, by Alexander Fleming. In the Christian tradition, we know we can heal. We're not superstitious. We believe that in the world, there are things we can use to heal the sick, just as we believe and know that in the world, this ordered world that we can explore, we can put things together and fly through the sky. We can even build a rocket and get to the moon. We are not superstitious. The world of medicine, as the world of science, is not closed to us, but always open. And the church keeps this open. She founds the great universities, the great teaching hospitals. She has this great tradition of science, so that great scientific discoveries like the Big Bang actually were by a priest, in that instance, Monsignor Lemaitre, and some of the great planets in the sky are named after priests because of the idea of mapping the heavens, finding out where the planets are, where the stars are. So healing the sick is all part of that, and we're still doing it. That doesn't mean that everyone who works in a hospital has to be Christian. No, it's born of that Christian tradition. It's born of an understanding that sickness is something wrong that was introduced to the world when suffering came in through our first parents, through their rejection of what God really wanted, but is redeemed by Christ. And when his mother appeared at Lourdes in the middle of that century, when so many developments were happening Indeed, also in the care of the sick. That great tradition received a new boost, and it will receive it again and again. Every hospital that is founded by missionaries operating in a culture where the idea of healing the sick had not happened, where, where there was witchcraft and ideas of magic give way to, no, we can heal the sick.
with the feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, Maria in Lourdes, Little Bernadette, and the whole story. We also celebrate the World Day of Sick, introduced by Holy Pope uh, John Paul II. And it's Joanna Bogle from London today, from Oxfordshire, to Uh, to give us this uh, view of the Christian tradition of caring about sick and the healing service of the Church. Please, dear Joanna. Well, it's a wonderful topic to be able to discuss. And as you mentioned, I'm in Oxfordshire, and I'm actually visiting family who have frequently gone to Lourdes and have a special care for it. They've gone as broncardiers, people who go to help at Lourdes. And their children, now grown up, have also done it. And they had a wonderful understanding of things through going to Lourdes. And a few years ago, three, four, five years ago, I was in London, and I happened to pop into Westminster Cathedral for one evening mass. And I found it was full of young people who had all been helpers at Lourdes, wearing T-shirts and so on. And they walked up carrying their banners, and they were having a glorious mass uh, as part of the young people who go to help at Lourdes. There is something marvelous about helping the sick. And I know from my brother's uh, offspring, my nieces and nephews, that they've had a beautiful time in Lourdes. And it's affected their understanding of their faith, and they brought that into their young adult lives. And then seeing all these fine young people in Westminster Cathedral, I realized they forge friendship, uh, they enjoy themselves. Lourdes is also great fun to go to because it's in France. It's exciting to travel to another country. And they all make good friends, and in the evening they have fun together and so on. And there are these huge events, the great procession of the Blessed Sacrament and so on, which if you are young and you've only been in your own parish, with perhaps the music is not so beautiful and the Mass is not somehow thrilling, you go to these huge events and you see something larger. You see the wide church. You see also the church's understanding of the role of sick people. They're not marginalized, just, oh dear, poor old lady, I'll help her a little bit on the bus. No, they are at the heart of all our lives, and especially they are beloved of God. John Paul understood this, his own long protracted illness, Parkinson's disease, helped him to show the world what it is when you are old and sick. And so it was he, as Pope, who marked the World Day of the Sick. And he did this on the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, building on what was already there. There's also something of interest to us in Britain uh, about uh, the relationship of John Paul with the sick. We have the sacrament of the sick, the anointing, the holy oil that is used for anointing, unites every person, every priest who's involved with it, with his bishop, because this oil is consecrated at the Chrism Mass every year in Holy Week and distributed to all the priests who come. They renew their priestly vows. They take away the oil. And during the next month, they will be anointing the sick in hospitals, in hospices, in homes for the elderly, in private homes, people who are sick, going all the way back to the scriptures. Is anyone among you sick? Uh, we are told. And from the earliest times, the apostles anointed the sick, prayed with them. Well, that's all a big part of our lives. When Pope St. John Paul came to Britain exactly 40 years ago this year, 1982, we're now in 2022, he celebrated the sacrament of the sick in St. George's Cathedral in Southwark. 
And because this was widely televised, this was the first time a pope had ever arrived in Britain. This was a unique event. This was extraordinary. He flew in, greeted at Gatwick Airport uh, by the then Archbishop of Arundel and Brighton, uh, met the Queen. It was all very dramatic stuff. And then they went to Southwark after a glorious great mass at Westminster Cathedral, the primatial see. They went to Southwark, to St. George's Cathedral, and all the pews had been cleared out, and the sick were brought in from across Britain. I may say, this was an enormous undertaking, made possible because of the tradition of Lourdes. All the people who helped at Lourdes were, of course, brought into this, and for a good six months beforehand, massive preparations were made. I've been doing some research in the St. George's Cathedral archives because of this 40th anniversary. Absolutely fascinating. All the people are gathered together uh, for meetings long before Zoom, so it has to be actual meetings. Minutes, which in those days were uh, psychostyled on a Gestetner machine. Remember that, anyone listening? Before photocopying came in on a wide scale, no computers. So you had this enormous organization. Each diocese would bring so many people to the cathedral. How do you choose the people? How do you help them? And the jumbulances that brought people to Lourdes every year were able to play the major role here. And yes, all these young people who then, 40 years ago, as now, helped with the sick, all were going to come and help. So a huge organization, and they all turned up at St. George's Cathedral, and everything was pressed into play. Uh, local halls and other churches, Salvation Army, people of goodwill, all put their services at the disposal of these these people. And it made incredibly dramatic viewing because this magnificent Gothic cathedral, Victorian building, was emptied of pews, no, no mean feat in itself to get all of those out, and people were brought in on stretchers, all with matching green blankets, I remember, and wheelchairs. And then the Pope led a beautiful service and anointed some of the sick and went with other bishops and priests around anointing them. And this this image, if I may so describe it, uh, a man in a long white robe anointing the sick, very, very beautiful image, very clear. This is what a pope is. This is St. Peter doing what the Lord told him to do. I think it opened up for millions of viewers an understanding of the sacramental life of the church, anointing the sick. Incidentally, if you get the chance this year in Holy Week, usually on the Wednesday uh, or Tuesday of Holy Week, your cathedral, wherever you are, will have its chrism mass at which the oil for anointing the sick is blessed. Also, the oil that will be used for confirming people during the year. Also, the oil that is used for anointing men who are ordained to the priesthood. Uh, oil is very important, and the prayers of a chrism mass, listen to them, are, are beautiful. It's always olive oil, and the prayers remind us of the olive in scriptures, how the bird brought the olive branch to Noah, of how Christ knelt in the Garden of Olives. Gethsemane is the place where the olive oil was pressed. I mean, all of this is terribly interesting. Olive oil, olive oil. And the priests will take away with them the oil for the sick. Another memory. It was in Australia, actually. I was driving along, a little group of us, with a friend who was a priest. And very tragically, we came across. Suddenly, the car was halted. Everyone was halted. There was a, a car accident. And this priest reached in the glove department of his car for his sacred oil. There may be somebody dying. He would go and anoint them. 
In the end, he, he didn't need to. All was well. The people were rushed to hospital. There was nobody dying, and there was a chaplain in the hospital who would meet them. But I was just so powerfully moved. A death at a road accident can be sudden. It may not be a very beautiful way to die, but a priest is even ready, even in the street, to anoint. He has the holy oils in his car. Sometimes he may have them always with him in his pocket. A priest is there, and I've been in hospital, as others have, with a relative who was ill, and in the middle of the night, a priest arrived, summoned to give the holy anointing. You see, sometimes it can bring renewed health, many times, in fact, but it may also be the way of taking the person across the threshold to meet God with that strengthening, the anointing of the oil, the oil of the sick, and that binds you to the church, to the bishop. It is not just any hooked oil. It is blessed oil. And there is something very sacred about all of this. So find out about your chrism mass. Find out about the anointing of the sick. And if you know anyone who is sick, gently ask them, would you like to be anointed? For some people, it's a reconciliation with the church, which they have long wanted, and an opportunity which should not be bypassed just because we lack the courage to make that gentle suggestion. Well, John Paul did it on this enormous scale in the cathedral at Southwark, and it really was rather extraordinary. Uh, St. George's Cathedral is a sort of second-best cathedral in a way. Everyone in London knows Westminster Cathedral, whether they're Catholic or not. is a real landmark there by Victoria Station, but St. George's is in Southwark. It's sort of on the edge of nowhere in particular, the nearest other main landmark across the road is the Imperial War Museum. Further down the road is Lambeth Palace, where the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury lives. But none of this makes for it a sort of central London location. So it's the Cathedral of Southwark, all of the southern half of London and stretching right down to the Kent coast. It's important, but Londoners really, when they say cathedral, they only think of Westminster. So that event at St. George's put it, if I can put it this way, on the map, and it also opened up for people this powerful vision of the anointing of the sick. A commemorative book of uh, Pope Saint John Paul's homilies and speeches was printed after the uh, events, and I've got a copy here, and reading his homily about the sick is, 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 is beautiful, uh, very encouraging. This sacrament should be approached in a spirit of great confidence, like the leper in the gospel, which had just been read at the time, of course. Even the desperateness of that man's situation did not stop him from approaching Christ with trust. And we too must believe in Christ's healing love and reaffirm that nothing will separate us from this love. You see, it's not just physical healing. It's the un unity with Christ. It's the unity with the church. It's the unity with that love, that huge love. One of the things that's interesting too, Christ himself needed help. Think of the woman who wiped his face on the way to Calvary, which we commemorate in the Stations of the Cross. And when Christ healed, there was something very human about it. As a little girl, I loved the story of the raising of Jairus' daughter, perhaps because in my prayer book, she had pigtails, plaits, just like mine. And she had a mummy and a daddy who were standing there looking desperately worried. His, her daddy's hand was he sort of gnawing at his hand and he had his arm reassuring around his wife. Just like my daddy would have done. Just like my daddy. Their little girl was sick. 
their little girl was dead. And Christ raised her up. And she sat up and he said, give her something to eat, which is just what any little girl would want to hear uh, when this had happened. And I always imagined her mummy and daddy giving her my favorite thing, which would be scrambled eggs on toast. Christ was very practical. He was a, a man who spoke to us as almighty God in language we could understand. And there's something richer to give her something to eat. He ultimately gives us himself, the bread of life. Somehow every miracle of Christ links with everything else. The sacraments all unite together. Just as the wedding at Cana points us to the Eucharist, do whatever he tells you. And then he says later, later, do this in memory of me. Give her something to eat. Everything sort of fits together. And Christ's touch, and we touch the sick. We're not frightened of them. We're not disgusted by them. Uh, I have a memory of, of helping out at a holiday home for handicapped people uh, as a teenage volunteer. <laughs> I'll admit I was doing it as part of my Duke of Edinburgh's award. I, I pitched in with a will. I was a very active uh, teenager. I'd enjoyed doing anything busy and active, girl guide, all that. But I found it very difficult because we were dealing with distressing symptoms of the sick. And I, I found after you've been dealing with emptying lavatories, uh, and then you were faced with a plate of mince and potatoes for lunch. I really struggled to eat. It, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't anorexia. It was just, I just found it difficult. And a really nice girl that I was with or sharing a room uh, took me out and bought me a sandwich because away from the place I could eat. And after that, no problem. Kept eating. I remember that because we pooled our money and we found I think between us we had something like one shilling and sixpence, which was just enough for a cheese sandwich, packet of crisps and two glasses of lemonade. Oh, memories. When we heal the sick, when we try to help, we unlock Christian love in others. And that nice girl, what a, what a good thing to do. What a, what a friend. The Christian idea is that healing the sick, helping the sick is a good thing. God has put in our hearts a desire to help. He gives us a joy in it. The doctors and nurses who dedicate their lives. We have a detailed way of training doctors. We have certificates. We have the idea of nursing as noble, an idea very much revived by Florence Nightingale, who consciously was looking back to the medieval idea of the nuns who'd done it. That's why to this day, in her modern revived form of nursing, she really recreated nursing in its modern form. We still call a senior nurse a sister, as if they were a nun. And so when a pope came to Britain, what did he do? He had the sacrament of the sick. And he also made an appeal to us. Don't neglect the sick and elderly. Don't turn away from them. Remember that life is a gift from God. All life is sacred. The unborn child, the gravely ill person. And here is a real plea from his heart, from mine, Please don't even think about deliberately killing the sick. We must heal people's pain. It is possible now so that you can really have good pain relief. I, like many others, have been involved with projects on this. Nobody need die in pain. Properly administered drugs to relieve pain is a skill in its own right. The hospice movement has shown us that pain relief is a real skill, a real specialization. We do not have to kill the sick. We can not only relieve pain, but we can relieve other distressing aspects of being in bed. Things that at one time were difficult, but can be now healed with much greater ease, like 
bed sores, distressing conditions uh, relating to whether or not you eat, whether or not you need to be fed by a tube. It's all much more possible than ever before. We must never decide we must kill the sick. And a great modern hero is Count von Garland, the Lion of Munster, the Bishop of Munster in the Second World War, who publicly and strongly denounced the wicked Nazi system of euthanasia, killing the sick, especially the mentally sick. He was brave. He's since been canonized. We must follow in his example and denounce euthanasia. And unlike him, we're not going to face terrible recriminations from an evil government. We've got to speak out. So please don't let our parliament legalize euthanasia. It would be a wicked thing to do. And it comes at a time when developments in pain relief and care for the sick have never, never been better. And there's still more to discover. Everyone who's ever worked with the sick knows a sort of thrill in making somebody comfortable, making something easier for them. And I learned that. We look today at the teenagers in Lourdes and they learn that and don't even imagine the joy of a really professional doctor and nurse who knows it on a really large scale. We should look up to doctors and nurses. We should honor healing the sick as a great profession. We should be able to have a great trust in them. And the idea, I am a nurse, should be, ah, what a fine thing to do. And we mustn't lose that trust, which we would do if euthanasia were ever to be introduced. It's it's also important that we understand in our own lives, when I am sick, I am loved by God. It is not a punishment. He too suffered in the Garden in Gethsemane. He too healed the sick, worked with the sick. One of the main things the apostles did as soon as they went out taking the gospel to the world was this healing of the sick and anointing the sick and being with the sick. Very, very important. I think the World Day of the Sick was a wonderful gift of John Paul to the world, building on those remarkable events in Lourdes and building on that tradition going back centuries to our Lord himself when he walked this earth. Heal the sick, anoint them. Is anyone among you sick? Let him come and be healed. Let him come and be anointed. So on the World Day of the Sick, let's rejoice in all of that. And let's hope that the millions who've toured uh, Europe to get to Lourdes in the past will be renewed again. And all those hotels and hospices and places of refuge will be filled. And once again, Lourdes will ring with Ave, Ave Maria, and processions and great gatherings as the Christians unite around, not lots of fun, but the sick. And in doing so, we'll find, yes, lots of joy, lots of companionship, lots of good meetings of minds and hearts, lots of lifelong friendships. You know, a lot of good Catholic marriages have come from people who met as helpers of Lourdes. A lot of young men kneeling there among the sick have thought, I would love to be a priest and have heard God call. So let's listen to the sick. Father, we glorify your name. And we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We know, Lord, that you care about all our problems and all our hurts and every disease. Jesus, we know that as we release ourselves in faith, trusting only in you, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be released, healing and wiping away all doubt, disappointment and fear. Father, let the power of your Spirit move upon every man, every woman, every child, from every tribe and in every nation, 
as we await the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, let your living water flow. Joanna Bogle for your wonderful talk about this whole dimension of health, of um, uh, sickness, of um, body and soul. I invite you, dear listeners, to call in. Maybe you have a, a special resonance or a special um, word now to share with us after this talk of Joanna Bogle or maybe uh, you were in, in Lourdes you have an experience of Lourdes and this world day of sick this experience this special experience I invite you to call in the number is 0122337556 let me repeat 01223 Three seven five five six four, and if you are um, listening and calling from abroad, you can dial the o o four four one two two three three seven five five six four. number to share your experience with us here in Radio Maria it would be um, it is very welcome to, to call in the No cola, Joanna, but uh, I wanted to ask you if, if you know that one of your old friend, Blakesley, uh, Father Simon, is in Lourdes uh, in these days. 
Oh, he is. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Preparing a bigger pilgrimage for yeah, 300, maybe 400 people in summer. Hurrah. Hurrah. I know that Father Simon worked as a nurse before becoming a priest. Even in accident and emergency, really difficult, challenging work, uh, very distressing cases and so on. And he brings to his priesthood, uh, he's now been a priest for many years, uh, all that knowledge from his days of nursing. And uh, curiously, I was with a Jesuit just the other day who remembered working with him when father, as he now is, Simon, uh, was a nurse. And I think that this dimension, this link between healing of body and uh, the work of a priest is, is very great. And I know he's very enthusiastic. Hurrah, that Lourdes is opening up after the pandemic and that imagine a lovely big uh, group of 300 pilgrims coming. Yes. Yeah, yes, wonderful. Um, I remember when uh, the first uh, World Day of the Sick yes, uh, started. I was in San Giovanni Rotondo. I'm sure oh, yes. you. I'm sure you know this 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 place and also the this wonderful uh, person figure of of uh, Padre Pio who had yes. all who had also a special care f uh, for the for the for sick people. Yes, very much so. And um, that, that was something that uh, was a particular dimension of the message that he brought, that and his great ministry in the confessional. And there was this idea, again, healing of the soul, healing of the body. That's all very beautiful. Yes. And he he built a he built a hospital there in San Giovanni yes. Rotondo, yeah, one of the most um, modern uh, houses in, uh, in 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 Italy and on the in the world. So we can see how um, how important uh, this in intention was for him, yeah, to to care mm. about the sick. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Joanna. Okay. Uh, maybe you have a, a last. Um, Last thinking to last thought to um, uh, to close to complete this uh, this uh, this program. Yes, I've been looking again at the beautiful words of Pope John Paul, who gave us the World Day of the Sick, uh, when he visited Britain 40 years ago, and his sermon is well worth rereading. Re May God, and he finishes, may God bless and comfort all who suffer, and may Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world and healer of the sick, make his light shine through human weakness as a beacon for us and for all mankind. Wonderful. And allow me to mm. give the blessing yeah. uh, after your, your wonderful talk, uh, also encouraging a priest to... Um, Yeah, to rediscover this this dimension of our of our ministry. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. God bless you and all our listeners. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank Amen. You. Amen. Thank you very much, dear Joanna. We will uh, we will have you um, on the twenty second of February for another. A huge uh, feast, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm ready, I'll be there. Cathedra, yes. Cathedra thank Petri. And thank you very much. Uh, have thank a you. nice time in, in Oxfordshire. Thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye.
And let me let me remind you for tomorrow it's the feast of our lady of Lourdes, the special moment also for our radio we will have here in our little studio chapel we will have a day of prayer of adoration you know also i invited you to support to help us concretely in this month to put your uh, light your candle on the lamp stand to support us to inflame your Uh, to enlighten your candle here in Radio Maria to share your little light. Thank you for your support, for your help. Thank you for, thank you for donate uh, to Radio Maria. We need your help, we need your support. And tomorrow we will have a lot of programs concerning uh, Our Lady of Lourdes. Would be a will be a very deep and a profound and nice, nice day tomorrow. Maybe uh, one of the um, important things is the worldwide rosary from Lourdes with the World Family of Radio Maria at 3 p.m. I invite you to participate in this special moment to be united with um, more than 85 countries all over the world in the five continents with the world family of Radio Maria live from Lourdes, Radio Maria France with Father Mathieu will organize this rosary on the grotto of Lourdes and we are so happy to be there with you and with the people in the whole world. Thank you very much for supporting Radio Maria to be part of the family and yeah, have a Lovely evening, your father Andreas.
your living water. 